This is how I know what love is. The Bible tells us that greater love has no man to lay down his life for his friends. And how many know we've celebrated this morning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but how many know you don't have Sunday morning until you've had Friday, the pain of Good Friday? This song has been about what Christ endured for us, and I want you to think about the cross that we've depicted this morning. The cross is a picture of, if we can say, a modern death chamber. If you have committed a, a crime in the state of Texas, if you've taken the life of another person, and if you've committed a capital crime, you may find yourself in Huntsville on death row. The judge has sentenced you, the jury agreed, the evidence showed it, the DNA evidence backed it up, and you find yourself on death row. And it is that picture there where a man, a woman, pays for their crimes against humanity. Well, the cross, my friend, is the same instrument of death. The only difference is when Jesus was on the cross, it was not for his crimes or his sins. How many know it was for ours? And the cross is a picture of the substitutionary death of Christ, where Jesus literally took our place, rather than me going to the death chamber for the things that I've done wrong. Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is... Yeah, not just physical death, but a spiritual death, a separation from God. Hence, we all have a great problem. If our world just understood this just a little bit, it would be on the news every day warning us to get right with God, to not stand before God on Judgment Day, but, 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 but on your own. But make sure that your sins have been covered, that someone has paid the price. And that's exactly what we celebrate this weekend, that Christ took our place. But aren't you glad that in the pages of world history, that the page that turned with the death of Christ was not the last page? I mean, now when you flipped over from Friday and from Saturday and on Sunday morning, that's when the resurrection took place. Friday night, my family and I watched The Passion of the Christ, as Mel Gibson depicted in a, and a, and a, a, a can only be described as a grueling movie for a couple hours about a day of Jesus' passion in his life. But I'm glad he didn't just end on the cross. In the last part of the movie, you'll see that he was wrapped in that white, white robe, that white cloth, and they took him down from the cross. And the next scene was when Christ is in the tomb. And as Mel tried to portray this, you hear first the grinding sound of two huge stones rubbing against each other. And it was the picture of the stone that had been rolled in place in front of Christ's tomb. Now that big stone was being rolled away. How many know when, 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 when the, the people at the cemetery, when they covered the grave and throw the dirt on it, they don't take it off the next day? Well, they buried people in tombs like that, and when the stone was rolled there and this screeching sound of rock to rock, all of a sudden light began to come into the tomb as Sunday morning broke forth. But then they began to turn to the inside of the tomb, and it was not just the light of the sun, but how many know it was the glory of God that was shining in the tomb? And then you saw the white cloth, the, the, the white robe that Christ was wearing, but guess what? Nobody inside. It's a pile of clothes that's just laying on that rock tomb. And then the focus is on Jesus himself, and it's as if he's not the man who who is emaciated on the cross, now we see the picture of the resurrected Christ. His face is not all broken and bruised, but there's a glow about him. And he's got this half smile on his face as he lifts his head and he looks out the tomb, walking into the world in the victory that we celebrate this morning. And my friends, that is the uniqueness of the Christian faith. That is why Christianity is different than any other religion in the world. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. I did a little search on, on Wikipedia, and uh, I was looking for the founders of the great religions of the world and where they were buried and where they're interred. And, and you could see, if you looked in the Muslim faith, the prophet Muhammad, we still know where his grave is. People make pilgrimage there to remember what he did. Confucius, Buddha, all these great world leaders, people know where they were buried. But guess what? 
They're still in that grave. Now listen, if you're here today and you're skeptical, I want you to hear these words, friend. The tomb of Christ is empty. Not just because the Bible says so, but because hundreds of witnesses began to see Him. The Bible says over 500 people, many of their names in the Bible, that literally saw Christ after His resurrection from the grave. And if that's not enough for you, I've done something for you. Today in America, if we want to figure something out, we go to Mr. Google. And we just figured that Mr. Google knows what he's talking about. And if he doesn't, I'm sure he asks Miss Google. But I Google in the little phrase that how many people have lived on planet Earth. And one of the first web pages popped up. It showed me that it was about 107 billion people. That sounded like an awful lot, but he had some cool formulas and everything. Then I added a, this phrase. I said, how many people have lived on this earth and then died and came back to life? Well, then some more very specific and deliberate things popped up about people who were on the operating table and their body left their spirit or, or people going and they were seeing this great light and they heard the voice and they came back. And then I thought, I'm really going to challenge you now. How many people have lived and died and came back to life, but are still alive today. I could tell Mr. Google was scratching his head because he didn't have an answer to that. It's like the guys that wrote the algorithms were a little confused on that. I just said, listen, if you would just read your Bible, you could figure this out. If it would have been true to fact, this huge phrase, Jesus Christ, would have just emerged on the stage. But nothing came on the computer screen because, listen, he is indeed the only person that has ever lived and died, come on, came back to life, but is still alive today. And my friend, that is the basis of the Christian faith. It is what we celebrate today. Let's kind of use that as a starting place because as we look in the Bible this morning, I want to find something that I think will resonate with you. Mark chapter 16, it is about a unique individual. His name is Peter. And Peter had failed Christ in a miserable way. How many can say, boy, I've been there? failed Christ in a miserable way shortly before he was crucified. Well, Mark chapter 16, verse 4, and I'll condense this. It's at the tomb on Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and another Mary went to the tomb, Jesus' tomb, on Sunday morning. Pretty amazing that all the macho men were not there, huh? Come on, they're hiding, but here these ladies go. In verse 4, they saw the stone had been rolled back. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. This was an angel. An angel that took the appearance of a man dressed in a white robe. And the angel said to them, You seek, seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And say this with me, He has risen. He is not here. It's profound. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and, and Peter. Now think about that. The angel could have said, Jesus wants to talk to his mom. Jesus wants to talk to his best friend, John. Jesus wants to see Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, so they could share something in common. No, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So here's my question to you this morning. Why did the angel tell Mary to go find Peter? Now, I'll tell you, I believe I have an answer for you this morning, and it's very, very clear, and it's for this reason. It's because just shortly before this, Peter had failed miserably to stand for Christ, and now he felt dejected. Come on. He felt like a failure. God had asked him to do something. Jesus had challenged him in it. He didn't do it, and failure had overcome him. But here's the message of the morning, what I want you to learn from the Bible today, is God cares more about your future than your past. 
that just like Peter, God knows the wrongs that we've done. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our sins. But just like Simon Peter, how many know God is concerned about a bright future, not just a dark past? Come on, somebody say praise the Lord this morning. And, and, and as I open the Bible with you today, when I teach the Bible uh, each week, we're, actually we're starting a new series today called Before and After. It's like where we were when God started with us and where he's taking us to. I'm going to help you as we look at different characters in the Bible in the coming days to see together how God can take a life that's broken. I mean, it could be, it could be anyone. I mean, no, it could be a Saul who was a guy who once killed Christians and then he became a Paul and he changed the world. Uh, it, it could be Rahab the harlot who was an innkeeper, who was beyond an innkeeper. She had another vocation. But guess what? God somehow converted her life and then she finds herself in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God has an ability to take you and your failures and mistakes in your old life and turn something brand new into it, before and after. This morning, we're going to talk about Peter's failure. Let's look into the Bible together. Now, as we go to Mark, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, is, this is the week before his passion. He's talking about his death to his disciples. If you can imagine, Jesus has walked with these men for about three years. He was very deliberate in the way that he would change the world. He poured himself into a dozen guys, and one of them was Judas who would betray him. But Jesus poured himself into these guys. The last few days of his life, he's telling them, as he has many times, that I'm going to go and be crucified. Now, the Jewish people were looking for something different from what Christ offered. What they were doing is they were looking for a political king, a savior that would free them from the bondage of the Roman Empire. They were looking back for the glory days, but Jesus was trying to sell them, I'm doing something bigger than that. I'm going to the death chamber for you. I'm going to stand before the judge so you don't have to. Well, anyway, he told Peter uh, and the guys what was going on, and he's telling them that they're all going to abandon him, and then Peter says this, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. He looked at Jesus Christ and said, listen, I'm never going to turn my back on you. And then Jesus, of course, you know the story, said before the rooster crows three times, listen, you're going to deny me three times before you hear the sound of the rooster. Well, it happened. Notice Luke 22, verse 56. Peter now is in the crowd. Now, I want you to think about Peter. If we, if we kind of look at his personality, he's one of these kind of bold, uh, gregarious kind of guys. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was the one that had the guts to get out of the boat when Jesus was on the tumultuous sea. I mean, Peter was, he was just kind of a picture. He went to the gym, I'm sure. He worked out, you know, he took the supplements. I mean, he was a man's man. He, you know, he was just this kind of tough, burly guy. I mean, he, he, Peter probably would have been on the TV show uh, Mudcats. Have, have you ever seen that or Swamp People? I mean, Peter would have been those guys, and he'd have just took a stick and knocked that alligator on the head. I mean, he'd have stuck his hand in that, in that hole and pulled out that big catfish. He was just a kind of a big, burly guy. But lo and behold, now the scene has changed. Now it's Friday morning. Jesus has been arrested in the middle of the night. And when Jesus was arrested by the Romans, they didn't just say, come along as we read you your Miranda rights. How many know when they arrested Jesus, those Roman soldiers would knock you around pretty good? I guarantee you, blood was already flowing from Jesus. They had already mocked him. He was in a chain. He was dragged before this uh, semblance of a Jewish court. And Peter's in the crowd watching. Peter's run away from him in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they came to arrest him and Judas had kissed Jesus on the cheek, Peter was there, and Peter first, he was kind of be his defender, and he cut off somebody's ear. But then, lo and behold, they try to grab Peter, and off away he runs. Well, now he's kind of hiding in the dark shadows. Jesus is in the center of the room, and verse 36, it's interesting, or 56, a servant girl 
this great big burly guy and this little petite little girl. And the servant girl said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. And Peter said, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. And someone else, verse 58, said, you must be one of them. No, man, I don't know him. In 59, someone else insisted, this must be one of them. And Peter said, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. The Bible says, immediately the rooster crowed. And then Jesus, verse 61, at that moment the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And the Bible says it flashed through Peter's mind the words of the Lord Jesus. Before the rooster crowed, you'll deny me three times. And then Peter, verse 62, left the courtyard weeping bitterly. He left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now, I want you to see the picture of a man who's a failure. When you make a mistake, and you know, and you run away from something, you run and hide, and it's over, and you stick your little head out, you just feel, come on, less than a man. You feel like you have just let somebody down. Now, for a moment, I want you to think about the way Jesus felt in, in that moment. It was a very troubling time for Jesus. It was actually the most difficult time of his life. Though we know the Bible teaches us that somehow Jesus was God incarnate, he was also a man. And Jesus wrestled with fear just like you would. If you have to go into the operating room and, and you know they've told you the procedures and you've signed every, all the papers and, and you know, listen, come on, the thing that we don't want to talk about could happen and this little thing called fear is dancing around in your head. Come on, you've been there. N normally, I, I, I go to the hospital and see someone about to go to surgery and I'll say my little preacher prayer and say, bye-bye, see you later. But this year, I had to go in surgery, and I had a knee operation, and, and my wife was, was with me as we waited, and the attendant came in, and I wanted to get it over with, but on the other hand, I didn't want to go. And this time, my wife said, honey, I love you, I'll see you later. And I'm thinking, C can she go with me? <laughs> but we all know what it's like to have abandoned someone. Peter failed miserably. Every one of us in this room can relate to this. Everyone that's tried to, everyone that has made a promise to God, everyone that has committed their life to Christ, come on, has disobeyed commandments we know we should have obeyed. We have told God no when He asked us to do some simple thing. E even as sharing the, your faith with someone, praying over a meal, giving a couple bucks, whatever it is, and we've told God no. And there's times in life when we realize what we've done and we feel like a failure. But here's the message that we cannot, that we must derive from go get Peter by the angel. And it's this, God cares more about my future than my past. Now listen, hear this. God sees my past. God sees my mistakes. God knows the things that I've done wrong. He hear this. You won't hear this in America today. You won't hear this on CNN or Fox News or anywhere else. You won't hear people say that God knows us when we sin. God knows the wrong that we do. And one day we'll give an account before God, the one who knows the hairs on our head. Come on. And the thoughts that we think. The God that knows. But somehow he says, Peter, I care more about your future than your past. And could you hear these words in your own life today? Is that God cares more about the person He wants you to become rather than the person you have been. Now stay with me this morning. Listen, it's real. You say, how do you know that? It's because a few days after this story, they're in the upper room praying, and the Holy Spirit falls, and it's an incredible thing, and the first preacher in the book of Acts is guess who? It's Peter! It's the guy who ran away and came back. And now Peter's giving the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And now Peter will be the leader of the Jerusalem church. Come on. 
He will be the one who wrote several books of the Bible. This man was a failure, but God cared more about his future than his past. Come on. And how many know God can make something great out of something that's broken? And I want to tell you, my friends, this morning, God can turn your life around and God can make you the person that He created you to be. Whether you've never made your first step to Christ or you have gotten off the path for whatever reason and failure has defined you, this is the day where the Lord Jesus would say to you, Go get Peter because I'm more concerned with your future than your past. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord and give the Lord a good hand this morning. Now, Psalm 145, you may go there. I want to talk about this phrase because life changes. When you're my daughter Bethany's age, 20, life seems, it's like it's going to be perfect. There's opportunities that are available for you. You're meeting with the college counselor and the college counselor is saying, what do you want to do with your life? And there's all these options that come up before us. You know what I'm talking about. You're at that stage of life where life is in front of you and, and you don't feel that there's many boxes that are surrounding you. But as you get older, you begin to realize, the, if I can say, the box that you're going to live in in life. You, you, you've kind of got a certain career going and a certain income level going. And all of a sudden, you find yourself, you know, 35, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and you realize your options are a little bit more limited. You realize that life is not the way that I thought it might be when I was in high school. But can I tell you, my friend, it is at that state when God helps you realize I can't go to the next step with my life, but God can take me there. I can't get to the place that God has dreamed for me to be, but God can bring me there. Let me tell you a little bit about who your heavenly Father is. When we talk about God and the Bible uses the phrase, your Father in heaven, some of us cringe on the inside. Because we didn't know a father who was tender with us. We didn't know a dad who would protect us from the evils in the world. We didn't know a dad who would provide for not only our needs but for our wants. Some of us didn't even know our father. Some of our fathers abandoned us. And when we talk about God the Father, it's difficult for understand how this God, come on, could be what my daddy wasn't. But can I pause just a moment and tell you, how the Bible describes your heavenly Father. The Bible says in Psalm 145, and here's what I want to tell you, God is first and foremost merciful and loving. God is just, but He's first and foremost merciful and loving. Now, when I say God is just, here's what I mean. There's consequences for our behavior. The Bible does teach you, and you need to hear this, that one day you will stand before God and give an account for your life. One day your life on this earth will be over and you're going to stand before the living God and He's going to want to know, what did you do with what I gave you? God is just. How many know there's consequences in this life? How many know if you do something wrong, if you break a civil law, you could find yourself on the newspaper just like the man did this week. Listen now. A young man drinking in trouble, molested a young girl. The alcohol was what caused it and he begged the judge for mercy for five years and the judge gave him 25 years. I want to tell you, friend, we live in a world where crimes are rampant and, and people's passions take over and something on the inside that's more evil than good begins to control us. But can I tell you this, friend? Even for that man, God cares more about his future than his past. Because even with a 25-year-old sentence in jail, his life is not over. Hear me now. The one who they may put you in an orange suit, but come on, they're going to need a chaplain in that jail. And God can turn you around so a former child molester and drunkard can become the godliest person in prison. 
Now, if he can do that inside jail, imagine what he could do with us, come on, when we're not in jail. Well, this is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about who God is and what he can do. And I'm telling you this morning, God is first and foremost merciful and loving before he is a God of judgment. Now, Psalm 145, verse 8, and listen to the words. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's gracious and He's merciful. It simply means that God is good. And God is not anxious just to, to beat us, to spank us. God is not like the parent that every time that child wiggles, they get pinched or they get smacked around. No, He's gracious and merciful. And listen to this. He's slow to anger. And He's abounding in, say it with me, steadfast love. I'm going to come back to that. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all He has made. Now, that's the nature of God. Before you see God as this powerful creator, before you see Him as your judge one day, I want you to see God as a merciful God that cares about you and that will go to whatever length necessary to engage with you. You see, we oftentimes may think that I've got to clean my act up before I can go to God. No, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, for God so loved the world in our messed up condition that He sent His only Son, that whoever would believe on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to think of that phrase with me, the steadfast love of God. And maybe I can describe the love of God to you in these words. I want you to imagine that you're in an orphanage. And I don't mean an orphanage in America where, you know, the uh, Department of whatever oversees it and conditions have to be just right and they're trying to, you know, get you with parents very quick. No, I'm talking about an orphanage perhaps in, in, in Russia during the Cold War where there'd be perhaps 200 kids in this huge room and some of these kids would be there, they wouldn't have diapers on. Uh, an American or European parent or an Asian would go in to adopt them. These kids had never been held in their entire life. Now, I want you to imagine what it's like to live in an orphanage. And the picture I'm painting is to live in a world not knowing that someone loves and cares about you. See, we have little babies, and they're in the church all the time, and people want to hold them and snuggle them and, and say, you're so pretty. And, and, and I was in the table in the cafe before service, and, and there was this little girl, this little baby, about 18 months old, and, and six adults around her. Nobody's looking at the adults. Nobody cares about mom and dad anymore. Come on, we've got a baby. And that baby gets a lot of love. But imagine you're in this orphanage. Now you've moved beyond one, two, three. You have no idea what the world is like. And you can't even put it into words, but all you know is no one has ever held you. No one has ever loved you. No one has ever cared for you. No one has ever provided for you. Now you become a teenager and life begins to harden you and make you cynical. You've learned to steal and rob. You've learned to be as tough and violent as you need to be to get what you want because you've never experienced love in your heart. And all of a sudden, they tell you over the loudspeaker, there's a parent that's coming that's looking for a special child today. You no longer listen to that announcement because you have been rejected so many times. Up to that point, all they wanted when the parents came in was a little blonde hair, come on, blue-eyed, a pretty little baby in skinny jeans. You know what I'm talking about today. There's a, there's a perfect little child, and you're not it. But this time, the parent that comes in is Jesus and Jesus comes in the room and his eyes scan that room until he finds you. And you're not even looking at him or for him. But Jesus is looking at you and all of a sudden you feel these eyes that are gazing at you. All of a sudden you feel something that you've never felt before. And you turn and you look and you see the love of the Lord God Almighty for you. And you don't believe that it's real so you turn away. But then something inside you says, I need to be loved. I want to feel that. And you look back and he's still looking at you. 
And you run out of the room and run away and try to get away because you don't know what to do. You feel odd. But whenever you come back in the room, he's waiting for you to come back in the room. And all of a sudden, he walks up to you. And rather than shaking your hand, he just puts his arm around you. And you just melt in his arms. Come on, I don't care if you're 13 or 30 or 80. Everybody needs to know what love is. Everybody needs to feel the embrace. Come on, of somebody that cares about them. Everybody needs to know that somebody is looking out for me. And I'm telling you, my friends, that's the nature of your Father in heaven. Come on, he's come to this orphanage called earth looking for all of us, not neglecting any of us. And I want to tell you, friends, I don't know what your world has been up to this point, what your life is like, but you have a heavenly Father that is more concerned about your future than he is your past. And he is first and foremost a merciful and a loving God. Come on, give him a, a hand this morning. Let me, let me tell you something else about him. Psalm 103, God is eager to forgive our mistakes. Now, I want you to hear me. I'm a pastor. I, I have given my life to two things. Number one, to help as many people get to heaven as is possible by sharing the truth of God's Word. And number two, to prepare you so that when you stand before God on Judgment Day, He'll tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Which means you, I'll challenge you to live a godly life. I'll challenge you towards good works in your life. But here's something I want you to know as, as well. Even though we may be striving to be all we can be, we still make mistakes. Come on. We fail. We sin. We act miserably in the world in which we live. But it's in that context that God still comes to us. Psalm 103 verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry, and he's filled with unfailing love. Notice what it says. The Bible says he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. God does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens of the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, the Lord is like a father to children. I want to talk just a moment about the burden of, uh, and the guilt and shame of sin. That phrase that said, God will forgive your sins and remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, you know the scripture in the New Testament, if we confess our sins, say it with me, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But here's what that means. I want you to imagine me, the good part of me, and the bad part, kind of the alter ego part, the sinful part. Somehow when I go to God and I ask for God's forgiveness, and I don't mean just blithely, I don't mean just, you know, bless me so I can do it again. But when you come to God with remorse and you ask for forgiveness, what God will do is basically say, okay, good John, I want you to look towards the east and start going. I want you to even go to the edge of the country, to the coast of North Carolina. And then he sends the sins in your life towards the west coast. And I'm on the east coast and my sins are a west coast. And then he said, you've just gotten started with this thing. I want you to keep going. And not just around the circumference of the earth where your sins would meet again. I'm talking about you go out in a straight line. And you go as far as the Hubble telescope will let you to go. And as soon as you get there, you've got more room to travel because your sins are going in the opposite direction. Well, what it's a way of saying is God is forgetting and washing away our sins. It's like when you erase something on your computer, it didn't go into Netherland. How many know it's in the trash bin and you can retrieve it again? 
And that's what we often do with our sins. We remember what we've done wrong and they torment us and we feel guilt and shame. But God it uses low technology when it comes to sin. God still has a chalkboard. Come on now. God takes a piece of chalk like a teacher used to do it. And God writes your sins on the wall or the devil writes them on the wall. The accuser, the one who condemns you. And you ask the Lord to forgive you and God does just like this. Come on. And you say, but God, when you approach God in prayer and say, Lord, you know I'm just worthless. You know I'm someone that's lied, I've stolen, I've, I've taken other men's wives, I've watched pornography. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, that's the old you. I don't see that anymore. I care more about your future than your past. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord this morning. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you come to God and ask God for forgiveness for your sins, He will erase that marker board and He will give you a brand new start. And the one, my friends, that tells us loudly here on Easter Resurrection Day is Peter himself. Come on, go get Peter. I've given him a brand new start in life. Now listen, I, I want to linger just a little bit more on this. I'm not going to read the Scripture, but let me just kind of conversationally tell them to you. The Bible says there was a woman who came to Jesus and it simply described her as a sinner. We don't know what she did, but I want you to imagine, girls, the vilest things of her life. Guys, I want you to imagine in your own world the vilest things that you've done. I don't know what it is that, that people don't know about. I don't know what it is that brings you secret shame and guilt. It could be an abortion that was decades ago. I can relate to that. It could be a crime that you committed and the police never found out about. It could be a marriage that broke apart and you know it was your fault because you were violent and you exercised violence in the home and you pushed your spouse away, but you hired a high-dollar attorney and you made her look like, come on, trash. And you know these things in your heart of hearts that you have done. And here you're like this woman coming to Jesus. And Jesus is in the room and they're having, they're, they're having a meal, they're having dinner. And, 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 and they're laying down like on couches, not chairs like we sit in, but they're laying on a couch. She comes up to Jesus and here he is with his, his dirty feet that had been walking around with sandals. And, and it was a job, come on, of a slave to wash their feet. But this woman, realizing she needed, she'd heard the message of Jesus that God can forgive my sins. And something touched the depth of her soul. And she looked at him and her tears began to, come on, fall from her cheeks. And she just began to weep. And Jesus felt these hot tears on his feet. And then she knelt down, come on, and there were more tears. Because Jesus was taking away the layers of guilt. And taking away the layers of shame. And telling her over and over again, I care more about your future than I care about your past. And as she wiped, her tears began to go through the dust on his feet. She took her hair and she began to wipe his feet in some small measure, saying, thank you, God, for making me clean. Thank you, God, for giving me a fresh start in life. Come on, this morning. Thank you, God, for giving me a brand new start that you don't look at me at the way that I used to be. Come on, but you care more about my future than my past. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we know about. Well, listen, this morning, I'd be honored to pray with you. One of the most pivotal meetings I've ever had in my life was with a man, I don't even know his name today. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes the most influential people, you don't even know who they are. He was a Gideon. And it was long about August, early August in 1976. And I was searching in my life 
I was 19 years of age. Uh, I, I, outwardly, I had all the nice things of life. You know, my dad gave me a car when I graduated high school. I was on a college scholarship. You know, the head majorette and the head cheerleader, they were my girlfriends. And I was the one that had, you know, beer in the trunk and whatever you needed. I was the go-to kind of guy. But guess what? There was a big old hole in the bottom of my heart. And I thought I could just fill it up with other things because those things hadn't worked I was scared I was going to get caught doing so some of those things, so I just wanted a place to run away to, so I decided the Navy was it. But I met this man that day that was a divine mission from God. I have no clue what his name was, but he had a little Bible, and it, in the back of it, it told me about the love of God. In the back of it, it told me that God cared for me more than words could describe, that if I would commit my life to him, that he would change my life forever. And you know what? I did that many, many moons ago. And I'm not the only one. There's some other folks I want you to hear their story just a second because I'd like to pray for you because I believe today could be the turning point in your life where you hear what Peter heard on that wonderful resurrection morning. Go find Peter and tell him I care more about his, past, his future than I do his past. Listen to their words. These are two people that are in our church today. Well, how many can say, that's my testimony too. I, I had a past, but Jesus gave me a really bright future. Yeah. I want to share something that I never heard in my early church years. Now, they could have said it, but how many know just because the preacher's talking about it, that doesn't mean we're listening. How does that kind of change happen? Because, see, this morning, in these last few moments of prayer, I don't want a thing from you. I don't, I'm not asking you to join the church. I don't want your money. I don't want you to do anything. I simply want to be somebody that works for the Lord to point you the way to find something that will change your life forever and ever. And what I'm talking about today is something you can't find in a self-help book. Something that willpower, New Year's resolutions, are not enough to do. God changes us on the inside when we surrender to Him. See, there's a Bible passage. They'll put it on the screen. It's in 2 Corinthians. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Let me say it again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. How many know you can be in church and not in Christ? You can, you can, how many know going, to, going through a car wash doesn't make you a car? Going into McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. It may make you a happy meal, but it doesn't make you a hamburger. But when Christ comes into your life, something supernatural happens. He makes you a new creation. And somehow, when you surrender your life to God, when you put your life in His hands, when you receive Him as your Savior, when you receive His forgiveness, somehow, how can I say it? God comes to live in your life. You don't just try harder. You begin to walk with Him in a personal relationship. Jesus called it being born again. We may call it being saved or being a new person in Christ. Can I tell you, it starts at a place of surrender. And I wonder if you're here today and if you say you're talking to me in this whole message. Maybe somebody forced you to come this morning, but you've kind of got beyond that. And now you're sitting here and you're thinking about the love of God for your life. When I talked about the weight of sin, maybe you're someone that's just pushed it far inside. And now you're hearing that God can wash it away. So you don't live a life of, come on, guilt and shame. But you live a life of freedom. See, it starts by simply responding and saying yes. That man gave me that Bible, that Gideon, early August. I didn't have anybody with me. I just started reading it. 
I read the fact that we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God, and I begin to be aware of it. See, there's an illusion that many people have. They think, well, when I get older or one day, I'll just do the God thing. Can I tell you this, friend? You don't just do the God thing. When he reaches out to you, you simply reach back. It's like God is using me today to be his hand extended to you. Now, you can either take hold of him or you can just kind of go by. I'm going to love you either way, but if you take hold of him, something happens in your life. When I was in that Navy boot camp, after several days, and just, I can't tell you, I just devoured the Bible. Because for the first time in my life, God was becoming real. And it was almost like I felt something pulling me that I couldn't put my finger on. And it was nobody but me and the Lord. And then I can remember one night, I was like, I, I put my pillow over my face because I, I didn't want anybody to know that I was weeping. It was like God was washing away from me the junk in my life. It's like the, the bucket that I had that I used to fill up with stuff that had a, a hole in the bottom of it. It's like God was repairing that bucket. And I just said something like this, Jesus, I want to give you my life, and I want to ask you to change me. And with your help, make me the person that you want me to be. And can I tell you, that was over 30 years ago, over 34 years ago, August 15, 1976, that Jesus Christ came into my life. And can I tell you, my life has never been the same. Now, I've been up and I've been down. I've had good days and bad days. I've had seasons in my life. But Jesus changed me forever. And I'm telling you, friend, he can change you too if you'll surrender your life to him. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, you're talking to me. I need God's forgiveness. I need that kind of change in my life. I want to surrender my life to God. Would you pray for me? Maybe you're here today and maybe you're like Peter. You've given your life to God before, but you've had a failure. Something happened and, and you just kind of got pulled aside, pulled away. But you just feel the love of God pulling you back this morning. And you feel God saying to you this morning, I care more about your future than I do your past. I want you to get back on track with me. I want you to surrender afresh and start walking with me. My friends, if you're here this morning and you want to get your life right with God, you want to put your life in His hands today, I'd be honored to pray for you. If you're here this morning, say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get right with God. Lift your hand right now. Do it very boldly and quickly, and we'll pray for you this morning. God bless you, pal. Come on, God bless you. God bless you all over the auditorium. God bless you too, buddy. God bless you. Pray for me. Come on, many people this morning. Pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. God bless you and you and you and you. And God bless you too, dear. Others. See, I don't want to think from you. We're just going to help you today. God bless you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to give you something to help you make the next step. Others this morning. Come on, don't be, above, don't be afraid this morning or ashamed because God has something for you if you make the next step. And I want to tell you, my friends, it's real. It's real. Come on, how many can lift your hand and say, it's happened to me? Yeah. And I'd never go back. Listen, here's what we're going to do. All you that lifted your hands, I want you to come up and let us pray for you. Come on up right now. Just begin to make your way up here. Come on, give them a big hand as they're coming. Come on, you in the back lifted your hand. Come on up. Others, if you need to be here, I want you to come on up too, whether you lifted your hand or not. But you're coming up, saying, I want to get right with God. Kind of gotten off track, but I want to get back on. I want Jesus to be in the center of my world. Come on, we're going to pray for you. Here's what I want everybody else to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them, you want me to go up there with you? I'll pray with you. Come on, just turn around and ask somebody. Just say, can I go up with you today? Do you want prayer this morning? Do you want to give your life to Christ? Come on, just ask them right now. And if they say yes, let us pray for you. Come on, ask your neighbor right now. I'll put you on the spot. Say, pray for me. I want to get right with God. God bless you, buddy. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here this morning. Others this morning say, pray for me. I want to make my step for Christ today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Uh-oh. Hey, let me tell you something right now. The Bible says that angels in heaven are rejoicing. That angels in heaven 
are rejoicing. Because you know what? We're just simply saying yes to God. We're just simply being willing to put our life in the hands of God and let God do with us what He wants to. Come on, give them a big hand as they're coming right now. God bless you guys. God bless you others that are coming today. We'll wait on you. Come on up. We'll pray for you. If you're thinking, well, I'll just do it when I get home. No, you won't. Who do you think that voice in your ear is that's saying, wait and do it later? Do you think that's God? I don't think so. God bless you too. Could that just be possible that the devil is trying to bring you and hold you back and God's trying to pull you to his side? I really believe it is. I bet it's another half dozen, six or eight people right here that something in your heart is pulling you and something else is pulling you away. My question to you is, which voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the Lord that wants to change your life or that voice wants to keep you out in the world? Anybody else, come on, we'll pray for you today. Just slip out of your chair and come on up. We'll be honored to pray for you today. God bless you too. God bless you, buddy. See, here's the deal. I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything. God bless you too. God bless you too. God bless you, dear. God bless you too. Come on, there's room for others up here. If I never see you again, this is the greatest day of your life. God bless you, dear. God bless you, buddy. Come on up here, anybody else. God bless you too, girls. God bless you too, pal. God bless you, man. God bless you. Come on up here. Come on up here. Give him a big hand. Takes guts. Takes guts to make a stand for God. Others today say, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm tired of playing at it. I don't want to play church anymore. I don't want to play at it. I don't want to be religious. If Jesus gave his all for me, I'm ready to give my all for him. Come on up here. We'll pray for you too. Give her another big hand. God bless you. Others that are coming today, we'll pray for you today. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. Let me say it again. Angels in heaven are rejoicing. Because God did not create you to die in your sins. God did not create you. Look at me, this, look at me, everybody. God did not create you to have a miserable life. God created you to live forever. God created to give you the greatest plan that He could ever give you. And all the world offers are substitutes. All the world offers, this will make you happy if you take a puff. This will make you happy if you take a drink. It's a lie. The world is strewn with alcoholics and addicts that listen to that lie and it never brings what only Jesus can bring. I'm telling you, God can do more for you than any other person in the world. And as you surrender your life to Him, today is a day of new beginning. And each day that you surrender your life to God, God becomes more real in your life. Each day as you make steps towards Him, next week as you make that step in water baptism, Today we're going to give you a little book after we pray. It'll just tell you how to live the Christian life, written by a very godly man. It'll talk to you about, about reading the Bible. It'll talk to you about fellowship, just practical things to help you get where you want to be. You know, if you're here this morning and you say, Hey, Ben, I'd like to be a brain surgeon one day. Uh, come by next week if you ever need any brain help. I say, No way, man. Listen, you've you got to pay the price. You've got to go to school. You've got to get on the right track. Well, that's what you're doing today. You're signing up for college right now. You're signing up for medical school. And God, listen, here's the prayer that you're making. We're all going to pray this right now. You, let's all bow our heads. And whether you're around the altar or in the congregation, I want you to just, let's all pray this prayer right now. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for loving me. I want to say it again. Thanks for loving me. Let the love of God come to me like I've never known before. I ask you to wash my sins away. The layers of sin. All my selfishness. All the things I've done wrong. Everything I'm ashamed of. 
all my guilt. I bring it to you today. And ask you to wash me clean. Give me innocence back. Give me the desire to live for you. And walk with you. All my life. Jesus. Come into my life. And save me. Give me a brand new start. And change my life. I surrender today. And I ask you to help me. Become the person you want me to be. In Jesus name. Thank God. Now just lift your hands to heaven right now. Just lift your hands to heaven. Just say Lord I want to welcome you. Like a a child in that orphanage today. I just want to reach out to my father in heaven. And ask you to come and just live in my life. To just take complete charge. And take control of me. Thank God in Jesus name. Thank God. Praise God for his goodness. Come on guys. You in the back. Give everybody up here a big hand. Everybody's proud of you today. 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 Most important, your heavenly Father. Here's how we're going to close. Listen, the Christian life, that was the first step, inviting Christ to live in your life. Now, we're going to give you something. We've got some pastors here to help you make the next step. To hold you, how, how, to, how, to, how to live your life. Just a little card you can fill out, give a little information so we can communicate with you. Tell you there's some good things going on. And, and there's a book in that, in that little bag. I want to encourage you to read it. Really, really skinny. But it'll help you. They're going to put back on the screen this baptism information. After they're done talking with you, before you go home, write that down. Give us a chance to communicate with you this week. If you forget it, call the office. And we're going to help you next week make that step to be the person God wants you to be. Okay, yeah, we got a new believers class next week. It starts it, it starts uh, right during during this service. We'll pray for you. Okay, so our altar team, they're going to give you some things right now if you have any questions. And uh, go ahead and sing another song, Pastor Nick. We'll sing it through one time and we'll be free to be dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, someone will be here for you. God bless you. And I hope to see you next Sunday as we continue the before and after series. I throw up.